Greetings, dear saints. It is good to be with you as we continue to work through the book of Revelation. The last time we were together, we worked through five ways to look at the book of Revelation. And I want to repeat them for you. It is the book of four invitations to see. It is the book of ten visions, and each one starts with the phrase, Then I saw. It is the book of four sevens, the seven churches, the seven seals, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls. It is the book of seven new things. It is the book of seven blessings. Now, these are just five ways to look at the book of Revelation that spring from the book of Revelation, and they give it its personality, and each one is founded in symbolism and rooted in Old Testament imagery. And I'm sure there are more. In fact, I thought of another one just recently. It is the book of eight exhortations to overcome. All right, there are eight exhortations in the book of Revelation to be an overcomer. And I'll just leave that up to you to do a little study on your own and find those. They're, they're fairly easy to find, so I'm sure you can do it. But the point is, these are are six now, six things that spring from the book of, the Re- of Revelation itself that shows us the symbolism, the Old Testament imagery, the repetition of themes, and so on, that really give it its characteristic and personality. And like with anything, it's important to recognize its characteristic and personality. But in today's session, what I want to do is to go over with you two ways to look at the entire book. When you sit down and look at the entire book, how do, how do you look at it? And the first way is it is a book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the first way. It is the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this is really my personal way of looking at the book. I mean, I'm sure others look at it that way because that's in the title, but in the way I split the book up, this is my personal way of looking at it, and uh, you'll see it makes sense when we go over it. And then the second way to look at the book, it is the book of seven books, the book of seven books. And this is a very organic way. It, It springs from the book. If you sit and look and study it and compare things, you realize, wait a minute, This isn't just one book, it's seven books in one book. So before we get into that, uh, let me pray for us. And gracious Heavenly Father, I pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, for you indeed are our rock and our salvation. Now, the way I look at the book of Revelation, and an easy way for you to look at the book of Revelation, is that it is uh, the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. All right? The book of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, this is an easy way to look at it because that's what the book says in the first chapter, the first verse. Listen to Revelation 1.1. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him, to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. Now, this is the most basic, the simplest way to look at the book of Revelation. It reveals Jesus in three ways. The first way is this, behold him in our midst. 
chapters 1 through 3. All right? The first revelation of Jesus Christ is this. Behold him in our midst. And that's chapters 1 through 3. Now, the key verse for this section, I'll read it to you, is Revelation 1.12. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet with a golden sash around his chest. Isn't that beautiful? The first vision of Jesus Christ shows him And we're going to go over this section next week, but it shows him in the midst of his his church. And it is something that Jesus promised when he was on earth. Listen to John 14, 16 through 18. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because he neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come, in, I will come to you. There is the beautiful promise that Jesus will come in the form of the Holy Spirit and his presence will be with uh, his disciples and with his church. And that's what Revelation uh, shows in the first three chapters. And so the first point, The first revelation of Jesus Christ is behold him in our midst, chapters 1 through 3. The second point is worship him in our midst. All right, if he's in our midst, then worship him. And worship him in our midst is chapters 4 and chapters 5. Chapter 4 and chapter 5 are filled with a revelation of Jesus Christ uh, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, and it shows the worship that takes place in heaven and on earth because of who he is. And let me read the key verse to that section, and it is Revelation 5.13. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them singing to the one seated on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Amen. And that is something that Jesus talked about in the Gospel of John as well. Listen to what he says about in John 4, 21 through 24. Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming, and now has come, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. And Jesus lays out here the the importance of worship in the life of the believer. And as you know, the the book of Revelation really is a book about worship. There are eight songs in the book of Revelation, and each one is very specific and very important. And it is filled with, with worship. 
In chapter 4 and chapter 5, there are five songs in the book of Revelation. So the, the first revelation of Jesus Christ is, Behold Him in our midst. The second revelation of Jesus Christ is, Worship Him in our midst. And then the third revelation of Jesus Christ is, Overcome with Him in our midst. All right, number three is overcome with him in our midst. And that is the remaining sections of Revelation. And it goes from chapter 6 through chapter 22. Uh, overcome with him in our midst. And the key verse is this. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. And of course, that is Revelation 12, 11. And Jesus talks about overcoming in John. And let me read that to you. John 12, 31. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. But I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. John 12, 31 and 32. Now, Revelation shows a worldwide convergence of political, military, religious, economic, and informational and cultural systems that are opposed to God. Right Now, let me review that with you again. Revelation shows a worldwide convergence of political, military, religious, economic, informational, and cultural systems that are opposed to God, His kingdom, and His people. And as people embrace the satanic influence behind these systems, they will act out against the church and God's people and seek to destroy His kingdom. And, and you can see that convergence developing more and more in the world. And it's only going to get worse because there is an end coming. And there is a one world system that will be united under satanic influences. Uh, and it's every part of the culture will be touched by it. Political, military, religious, economic, informational, and cultural systems, and they will be set up to gravitate against the kingdom of God, the person of God, and the people of God. And we'll see that throughout the book of Revelation. These things are brought out very clearly. They're brought out in symbols, but they're brought out very clearly. Now let's think about why the book uh, would be looked at in these three ways a revelation of Jesus Christ uh, in our midst, a revelation of Jesus Christ that we should worship him, and a revelation uh, that Jesus Christ we are to overcome with him. Why, why those three things? And think about that order. First of all, what, are we, what is more important than believing realizing and experiencing that God is with us. I mean, that is really what the name Yahweh means. It is what the name Emmanuel means, God is with us. So as a believer, we need to have it so certain 
in our lives and in the life of the church that, yes, God is really in our midst. In the midst of the battle, in the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the difficulties of life that I find myself in the midst of, I'm not alone. The Lord is with me. He's here. So if that's true, if I truly believe that, and I walk it out every day, then the next thing that follows is this. If he's really with me in the midst of my stuff, and I'm sure of that, then I need to worship him. And you see, because that next step is important because when I believe that Jesus is here with me, my eyes are on him. And when my eyes are on him, I begin to see him for who he is. I see his majesty. I see his glory. I see his power. I see his grace. I see his mercy. I see all of those things that make him who he is. And I begin to lift him exalt him, praise him above the stuff of my life, the things I'm unsure of, and the battle I find myself in. And you see, those two things, the fact that God is with me and the power that comes to me as as I worship, that's what I need to make it through the battle I face, whether the battle is my own personal life something that's going on in the world right now, or something that happens that is catastrophic uh, and, and apocalyptic uh, that, that has to do with, with uh, the work of the enemy. All of those things that I find myself in the midst of, and God expects me to be an overcomer in those things, how can I be an overcomer unless I believe he's with me and I worship him and exalt him above those things. And so that is really the beauty of it, isn't it? The beauty of looking at this book of Revelation in these simple ways that, that I just told you. Behold him in our midst, chapters 1 through 3. Worship him in our midst, chapters 4 and 5. And then overcome with him in our midst, chapters 6 through 22. Now, The next way that I want us to study through. Now, here is where those of you who are students and and who are not just listening to these messages and and then going, oh, wow, that was really cool. But you're really wanting to study through the book of Revelation. Here's where you need to take good notes. uh, And you might want to pause this and make sure that you uh, have a pen and and a pad. uh, Because what we're going to go over will set the theme Um, set the scene, really, for how we look at the remainder of the book of Revelation, and it will influence every study after this. So it's really important that you understand this this next way to look at the book of Revelation, Uh, because the book of Revelation is not really one book. Uh, It is seven books. It is a book of seven books, and um, it's almost like, for example, if you have on your shelf, if you're a fan of the, the Lord of the Rings and you have the Lord of the Rings, you know there are three books that make up the Lord of the Rings to tell the complete story. 
all right? And so it's similar to that. It, it would be a, a slip case with seven books in it, and that's a, a good way to look at it. Uh, but the book of Revelation is not one book, but seven books that tell the same story. Now, a good way to think about it is, is in a photographic sense. And it's easy for me because I'm a photographer, and I, and I hope this is helpful. All right, now, seven photographers are assigned each to take a photo of the same event from a different angle, showing a different perspective or a different theme. They go out and take their photos, and then they come back. One by one, they give you the photo they took. First one, then the next one, then the next one, and then so on. You look at each photo, and you see the story that each one tells about the same event. After looking at the seventh photo, you have a complete picture of the event. As someone was handing you the photos and you were writing about it, you would probably, like John, simply say, then I saw, then I saw, then I saw. You see, God is outside of time, so each of these seven sections tell the same story from God's perspective that he wants us to see. Each one is complete in itself, but each one shows a different view that enriches and elaborates on the details of what God wants us to see. Now, what I want to do next is to give you, and there are different biblical scholars that, that have a little different take on, on these, but, but there are many, many um, biblical scholars, and I don't necessarily consider myself a biblical scholar, but I am doing scholarship in studying this for 20 years, and, and uh, I'm trying to give you a scholarly view. And what I mean by that is that I take time to look at the Greek, the Hebrew, the Old Testament, the culture, um, to study the types of literature, all of those things that are important to understand the book. And there are, are a great number of, of good Bible commentary commentators who recognize uh, these, who are not um, influenced by Darbyism, and who recognize so clearly that the book of Revelation is seven books same, telling the same story seven times so that God makes sure we get the point. Okay, so I'm going to give you those seven sections, and I'll go slow so you can write them down, and I'll repeat them. Section 1, or Book 1, The Son of Man in the Midst of the Seven Churches. All right, Book 1 is the Son of Man in the Midst of the Seven Churches. And that is chapters 1 through 3. All right, chapters 1 through 3, The Son of Man in the Midst of the Seven Churches. Book number 2, the seven seals opened. Book number two is the seven seals opened, chapters four through seven. Book number three, the seven trumpets sound. The seven trumpets sound, chapters eight through 11. Book number four, the battle in heaven and on earth, the battle in heaven and on earth, and that is chapters 12 through 14. Book number five, the seven bowls emptied, 
the seven bowls emptied. And that is chapters 15 through 16. Book number six. The Defeat of Our Enemies. Book number six. The Defeat of Our Enemies. And then finally, book number seven. The Judgment and New Things. Book number seven, The Judgment and New Things, and that's chapters 20 through 22. All right, now let me repeat these one more time. The book of Revelation is a book of seven books. Each book tells the same story from a different perspective, giving different details, having a different theme, but it has a a beginning and an ending and tells the same story, same eternal story. The Son of Man in our midst, uh, or excuse me, the Son of Man in the midst of the seven churches, verses one through three, or books one through, chapters one through three. The seven seals open, chapters four through seven. The seven trumpets sound, chapters eight through 11. The battle in heaven and on earth, chapters 12 through 14. The Seven Bowls Emptied, chapters 15 through 17. The Defeat of Our Enemies, chapters 17 through 19. And The Judgment and the New Things, chapters 20 through 22. Now again, I want to repeat this so that you get the point. The book of Revelation uses repetition to emphasize its message. It shows us the same thing seven times from seven different perspectives, each with its own unique characteristic and details to make sure we get the point. Now, the, the way that you can tell that these are seven books that tell the same story is because as you read through, and, and one of the things it would be good for you to do is to sit down and read each of these books, maybe on a different day. First, read book one. And just read right through chapters 1 through 3. And just see how it tells the whole story uh, about the whole biblical truth of God uh, and what's happening. And then read the second book and then the third book. And then when you get to the seventh book, read the seventh book and see how it's really the same story. Um, But one of the ways that you can tell is because there are themes that repeat themselves over and over and are told in the same way uh, in the different books. And I'm going to just give you six of them um, that I found, and I'm sure there are probably more, um, but these are the six themes that are repeated throughout the book. And so, for example... If, um, if, if seven photographers went to, to uh, cover an event that was happening um, and, and one of the things that happened at the event was that there was a fire and three of the photographers took a picture of the fire, maybe from a different angle, then you'd say, wow... Um, a fire was going on during this time, and, and that's what you're going to see here. Now, the, the, the first repeated theme is that there are the same cosmic events from three different perspectives, okay? 
the same cosmic events from three different perspectives. Now, in book two, all right, book two is this, when the seven seals are open. In book two, chapters four through seven, listen to what happens with the sixth seal. And I'm going to read Revelation 6, 12, 13 and 14. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. Then the sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair, and the whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to the earth. And late fig, as late figs dropped from a tree when shaken by a strong wind, the sky receded like a scroll rolling up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Now you see in, in book number two, the seven seals, there's an earthquake, and the heavenly bodies fall from the sky. All right? So there it is. There's an earthquake, and the heavenly bodies fall from the sky. But now, in book three, which comes after book two, all right, and that's where the trumpets sound, and that's chapters eight through 11, you'll notice in trumpet four that the heavenly bodies are still in the sky. Okay? So Revelation 8, 12. The fourth angel sounded the trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark, and the day was without light, and also a third of the night. So, so do you see? It just repeats the same thing. Because if the stars and the heavens, the stars and the sun fell out of the sky in, in the previous book, they, they're not going to be back up in the sky in the next book unless that book was telling the same event from a different perspective. Do you see what I mean? And then in book five, the seven bowls, you'll see that the same earthquake takes place. All right, book five, the seven bowls, chapter 15 and 16. Let me read um, chapter 16, 17, and 18. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne, saying, It is done. And there came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder and a severe earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever been occurred since man has been on earth. So tremendous was its quake. Now, if you go back and study the book number two, you'll see an earthquake is described there as being uh, catastrophic. And here again, it's in, the, in book number five, it's described again. Why? Because these are all the same story being told, but the one photographer took a picture of, of the two photographers took pictures of the, the stars falling out of heaven, and two photographers took pictures of, of the earthquake. Okay? So it's important to see that, that this is not a book that's one book that's sequential, but it's telling the same story again and again, and that's one example. The second example is that the same judgment is talked about from three different perspectives. Now in book two, chapters four through seven, the seven seals, you have judgment, and judgment comes from the four riders. Listen to this. This is book two, um, chapters four through seven, the seven seals. And I'm going to read Revelation six, one through five. I watched as the lamb opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures say in a voice 
like thunder, come. And I looked, and there before me was a white horse. The rider held a bow, and he was given a crown. And he rode out as a conqueror, bent on conquest. When the Lamb opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make men slay each other. To him was given a large sword. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, A quart of wheat for a day's wages, and three quarts of barley for a day's wages, and do not damage the oil and the wine. So here you have, and let me read um, chapter, uh, excuse me, verse um, 7 and 8 as well. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come, and I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. The rider's name was Death, and Hades followed close behind him. They were given power to overcome a fourth of the earth, to kill by the sword, famine and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. And so here you have, in the second book, chapters 4 through 7, the book that deals with the seven seals, you see these four writers pictured, very symbolic, a very um, Old Testament in its, in its feel, coming forth to bring judgment on the earth. All right? And that's really significant. Now, in book three, um, chapters, chapters 8 through 11... And in book 5, chapters 15 and 16, all right, the trumpets and the bowls, you see the same judgments, again, from a different angle, but these, these two books show them exactly the same. They don't show um, the, the four writers doing it. They just show it as, as a result of the trumpets and the bowls. Now, in each one, and if you compare them, what you'll see, the first trumpet... And the first bowl, all right, now again, these are chapters 8 through 11, which has to do with the trumpets, and chapters 15 and 16 that have to do with the bowls, book 3 and book 5. Uh, because right in the middle, um, book 4, all it talks about is the battle, the battle, and that's sandwiched in between these two books that show the judgment from two different perspectives. All right, the first trumpet and the first bowl affects the earth. All right, you got that? The first trumpet and the first bowl affects the earth. The second trumpet and bowl affect the seas. Okay, the second trumpet and the second bowl affects the seas. The third trumpet and the third bowl affects the rivers. The fourth trumpet and the fourth bowl affects the sun. The fifth trumpet and the fifth bowl affects the pit. The sixth trumpet and the sixth bowl affects the Euphrates. And the seventh trumpet and bowl, there's a culmination of all things and power from the temple in heaven comes forth. Now I'll review those 
quickly because what I want you to see is that the same story of judgment is told in book three that has to do with the trumpets and in book five that has to do with the bowls. The first trumpet and the first bowl affects the earth. The second trumpet and bowl affects the seas. The third trumpet and bowl affects the rivers. The fourth trumpet and bowl affects the sun. And the fifth trumpet and bowl affects the pit. The sixth trumpet and bowl affects the Euphrates. And the seventh trumpet and bowl, there's a culmination of all things, and power comes from the temple in heaven. And I want to, let me just read trumpets for you so you get a feel for that. I'm going to read just a little bit. Now, we'll be going over all of this in great detail, but I want you to get a feel for this whole book. In Revelation uh, 11, 15 through 19, the seventh angel sounded the trumpet, and there was a loud voice in heaven, which said, The kingdom and the world has become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for the rewarding of your servants, the prophets, and your saints, and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and when the temple was seen, the Ark of the Covenant, and within the temple was seen the Ark of His Covenant, and there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and the earthquake, and the great hail storm. You see, that is book 3, chapters 8 through 11. And do you see that that book ends with judgment, and it ends with a culmination of all things. It tells the whole story from beginning to end, and it ends with judgment. All right? And that is the seventh trumpet. Now, let's look at the seventh bowl, uh, which is in the fifth book, and it tells the same story. And I'm going to read Revelation 16, verses 17 through 21. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air and out of the temple. Again, this comes out of the temple. Came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake, and no earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found. From the huge hailstorms, from the sky, huge hailstorms of about a hundred pounds each fell upon men, and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail, because the plague was so terrible. And what I want you to see that both of these books, all three of these books, give a picture of judgment coming. 
from a different perspective, but the same judgment. The first one, book two, has to do with the riders and the, and the different riders on the horses coming and bringing judgments. And then in the other book has to do uh, with the book of trumpets and the book of bowls. They, they show the same things affecting the earth. And so what you have here is you have three books telling the same story of judgment from a different perspective. It's not sequential. Uh, it's not that there's a judgment over and over again. It's the same story being told. Now, the third parallel thing is that there are parallel time periods going on. And oftentimes people think of uh, a seven-year period, and really the seven-year period, as we talked way back in the beginning, the, the seven-year period is not really from the book of Revelation. It is superimposed on the book of Revelation from the book of Daniel, uh, which I, if you go back and, and look at that podcast and listen to the podcast, uh, the, the, that seven-year uh, period is already done. It was in the life of Christ, and, and uh, it's already taken. It's already over. It's, it, and, and yet there are, there are some people who try and transfer that to some future date, and it's the seventh week of Daniel, and that has already taken place. But really, the, the key number in the book of Revelation is really three and a half. Now, let me read from book three, the seven trumpets, for chapters eight through 11, and just listen, 11, one, and two. And, and the point of this, there, there are three, there, there's the same uh, parallel time period. I was given a reed like a measuring rod and was told, go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count the worshipers there but exclude the outer court. Do not measure it, because it has been given to the Gentiles. They will trample on the holy city for 42 months. Okay? Now, 42 months, as you know, if you count it out, is three and a half years. And so, this book um, has a reference in it, the third book, the Book of Trumpets, that there's going to be a three and a half year period uh, when when there's some trampling going on to the holy city. Now, we'll, we'll look at what he's talking about when he says the holy city, um, you know, when we get to that. But I, all I want you to note here is 42 months. Now, in the next book, which is the battle in heaven, and it is chapters 12 through 14, listen to what it says. Revelation 12, 13 and 14. When the dragon saw that he had been hurled to the earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. And the woman was given two wings of a great eagle so that she might fly to the place prepared for her in the desert where she would be taken care of for time, times, and a half a time out of the serpent's mouth. So time is one, times is two, and then a half a time. So that's two, one, two, and a half. So that's three and a half times or years, okay? It's referring to years when it talks about times. So in book three, the seven trumpets, you have a 42-month period. And book four, the battle in heaven, uh, there's, there's a three and a half year period. But what I want you to see is this is so symbolic. And I'm going to give you something to look up. And if you, you get it, 
maybe you can, uh, you know, jot me a note or send me a text if you'd like. Where does the first reference? Well, where, where is the reference in the New Testament to three and a half years? Where is it quoting from the Old Testament about that time period? And what is significant about that three and a half years? And what is it trying to tell us? What is the book of Revelation trying to tell us by using that time period, three and a half years? Now, I'm, I'm going to give you the answer to this, obviously, when we get into that. But I want you to do some little research and, and to see where that comes from, that three and a half years. All right? Um, because the Jews, when they read this, they would know right away exactly what the book of Revelation was trying to trying to tell them by using that time period. And they go, oh, we get what you're trying to say. Now, we miss that because we're not Jews and, and we, we, we don't, we're not steeped in, in Jewish history and in the symbolism uh, of the Jewish Bible. Most of us aren't, okay? So I'll give you an assignment. If any of you find it, you, you let me know. The fourth way that um, uh, the parallel uh, examples is, is Satan... Uh, Satan's attack and the Lamb's victory. It's, it's, it's shown in two of the, the books in different ways. Book four, the battle in heaven, 12 through 14. It shows the S Satan attack and the, and the victory of the Lamb. And I'll read um, chapter 12, the verses 7 through 9. And there was a war in heaven, and Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon and the angels fought back. But he was not strong enough, and they lost their place in heaven. And the great dragon was hurled down, the ancient serpent called the devil, or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. All right, now let's look at the battle that's shown the same way. And in book 7, which talks about the judgment and the new things, chapters 20 through 22. And I'll read from chapter 20, verses 7 through 10. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison, and he will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog. They gather them for battle, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the, like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Do you see, book four ends with this giant battle, okay? And then book seven ends with this giant battle. It's the same battle. It's not two different battles. It's just talked about from a dis different perspective. Uh, and then let me show you that again, uh, that this, the same... <clears throat> Excuse me, the same great war is shown from three different perspectives. In book five, when the seven bowls are emptied, Revelation um, 15, 16, and, and 16, 21. All right, I'm reading from Revelation 16, 16, and 16, 21. And this is the fifth book where the seven bowls are emptied. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Ag Agamemnon. 
from the sky, huge thresh hailstones of about a hundred pounds each fell upon men, and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail, because the plague was so terrible. And you, you what I want you to see here is in this great war, defeat comes in terms of plagues. But later on in, in book eight, it tells the same story, but look at how it tells the defeat of God's enemies from a different perspective. Now, book six is verses, is, excuse me, is, is chapters 17 through 19. Book six, six has to do with the defeat of our enemies. And let me read um, Revelation seven fourteen. They will make war against the Lamb, but the Lamb will overcome them because He is the Lord of lords and the King of kings, and with Him will be His called, chosen, and faithful followers. Now here, defeat doesn't come in terms of plagues. It comes in terms of the power of the Lamb. Do, do you see that, that Revelation is trying to say, we win. In book five, we win because God is going to send plagues. In book six, we win because of the power of the Lamb. Now then in verse seven, let me read another way that we're shown that we win. Book seven is the judgment and the new things, and it's chapters 20 through 22. And I'm going to read chapter 20, verse 7. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across, across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But fire came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who was deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown, and they will be tormented day and night. Now, do you see, this shows that the enemy is defeated, but it shows it from the perspective, not the power of the Lamb, not plagues, but fire coming down from heaven. And it gives a more complete picture because it shows what happens to the enemies in a more detailed way. But do you see... It's just the book of Revelation, seven books telling the same story, keep, and it keeps repeating the same themes over and over again. And then, and then finally, um, the final defeat of our enemies. This is very similar, but I want you to see how it keeps repeating it. Um, in book six, uh, the, and these are the, the people involved, or the, the personalities involved, okay? They are shown being defeated three times. Let me read um, from book six, um, and that is verses 19, uh, and uh, excuse me, uh, Revelation 19, 19. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against the rider on the horse and the army and his army. But the beast was captured and with him the false prophet who had performed the miraculous signs on his behalf. With these signs, he had deduced, deluded those who had received the mark of the beast and worshipped his image. The two of them were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The rest of them were killed with a sword and came, that came out of the mouth of the rider on the horse, and all of the birds gorged themselves 
on its flesh. And that's book 6, um, chapter 17 through 19. And you can see again, there's a great defeat um, of the enemy. And then in book 7, again, you have this great defeat. In, in book 6, it shows the beast and the false prophet and Babylon. And, and in Babylon actually is in chapter 18 of book 6. And, but let me read that to you. After this, I saw another angel coming down from heaven. He had a great authority, and the earth was illuminated by his splendor. With a mighty voice he shouted, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She has become a home for demons and a haunt for every evil spirit, a haunt for every unclean and detestable bird. Then a mighty angel picked up a boulder the size of a large millstone and threw it into the sea and said with such a violence, With such violence, the great city of Babylon will be thrown down, never again to be found. Now, do you see here, book six shows the defeat of the false prophet, uh, the beast, and of Babylon on earth. But book seven shows the defeat of the enemies in heaven. The same defeat, but one to shows the, the, the conqueror, conquering of God's enemies on earth, the next shows the conquering of God's enemies in heaven. You see, because the beast and the false prophet uh, and, and Babylon were all influenced by Satan, obviously, they're going to be defeated on earth, but they're also going to be defeated on, in heaven. And that's what book seven shows us. Book seven, again, is chapter, chapters 20 through 21. Now listen, it shows Satan being defeated. Chapter 20, verse 7. When the thousand years are over, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. In number, they are like the sand on the seashore. They marched across the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of God's people, the city he loves. But he came down from heaven and devoured them. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of burning sulfur where the beast and the false prophet had been thrown. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. What I want you to see, and what's very important, and you'll have to go back and just make sure you see these seven books and are reminded about the chapters that make up the seven books. But I hope you've seen that the same story keeps being told over and over and over again so that we get the point. And we're going to, to look at all of this in detail and go into great detail about, the, about some of the great misconceptions that we have about this whole thing about the millennium and, and, and that Christ comes back at the beginning of uh, and then, and then there's a thousand-year reign where people live on Earth and they become Christians. And yet, but Satan still—it's—that's just so far from the truth. The millennium that's being talked about is now, and and that a thousand years is symbolic. It doesn't mean a literal thousand years. It means a long period of time. The Church Age, from the beginning of the the, the coming of Christ to the end of Christ is this millennium where Satan is chained. He doesn't have complete power, but he's going to be unchained at the very end of it. 
before the Lord comes back. And I will show you that in great detail. We have been so deceived about that whole issue, uh, that whole issue. But I think what I'd like you to do, and, and you're going to have to go back and listen to this and study it out. And I know I've given you a lot, but I, I know most of you, and I know that you're going to study this because it's important as we go through here from here on out to really get uh, this a beautiful way that God put together the book of Revelation. And I hope you've seen uh, how he keeps telling, the Holy Spirit keeps telling John the same story again and again and again and again, seven times, so it's perfect. And this is the prayer that I want to pray for you as you study the book of Revelation. And you can pray uh, it for me as well. And it's from Ephesians 1. 15 through 21, and it's a good thing to be praying as we study this book because we're going to get into the meat of the book now, and we've done a lot of introductory things, but we're going to get into the meat of the book, and um, I want you to really be blessed. And so here's the prayer from Ephesians 1, 15 through 21. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and above every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Amen. God bless you and keep you.